This is Passing Judgment, a podcast about the law and how it affects you. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. Think of me as your personal law professor as we navigate the big legal questions of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. Hey, everybody, it's Jessica Levinson. Welcome back to Passing Judgment. Today, I want to talk to you about a really big gun control case that was heard before the Supreme Court this week. And what I want to tell you is I think we see even this conservative Supreme Court kind of moving away from a really big decision that it made in June of 2022 where it created a new legal standard for when gun control measures are constitutional. So disclaimer slash shameless plug here, I am going to talk to you about much of what I wrote in an MSNBC column. So if you want to know more or see it in written form, you can go to that website. Now, back to what I think is happening here. Again, it's not every day that we see this very conservative court distance itself from a recent ruling. But the justices here look poised to offer a pretty big just kidding to this 2022 landmark decision, which, as I said, created a new legal standard that makes it harder for courts to uphold gun control regulations. Now, we don't know if the court is going to saunter or sprint away from that decision, but I think what was clear during oral arguments in this new case, which is called U.S. versus Rahimi, is that the court is likely to uphold the federal law at issue in that new case. What's that federal law? It's a law barring those who are subject to domestic violence restraining orders from possessing guns. And yes, there was a real question before oral arguments as to whether or not the court might strike down such a law. Now, I keep mentioning this June 2022 case, and that's because it's a big one. In that case, the Bruin case, Justice Clarence Thomas led the court's six to three conservative majority and struck down a New York law dealing with when people could conceal carry guns. Now, in one sense, the Bruin decision built on another landmark decision, the 2008 ruling in the Heller case, where the conservative majority says the Second Amendment created a personal right to self-defense in one's home. Now, Bruin extended that right to the public, essentially. But the facts of the case aren't as important as the fact that it creates a new standard, as I keep saying. The new standard is that courts can only uphold gun regulations if they're, quote, consistent with our nation's history and tradition. Or later in the opinion, the court said, quote, consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Now, what does this mean? It means that for a gun control regulation that's reviewed this year, Thomas and the other conservative members of the court want us to go back to 1791 when the Second Amendment became part of the Constitution or 1868 when the 14th Amendment becomes part of the Constitution and essentially expands out the Bill of Rights, which includes the Second Amendment to apply to states. So we're looking at either 1791 or 1868 to determine what our nation's history and tradition is. Now, 
According to the court here, the meaning of the Constitution, I'm going to quote again, is fixed according to the understandings of those who ratified it. This is a aggressively originalist perspective, and that's one school of thought when it comes to constitutional interpretation. Now, supporters of this school of thought think that it forces judges to be neutral arbiters, not judicial activists. But what I would offer to you is it really doesn't do that. Instead, what it does is it forces lawmakers and lawyers to perform kind of original historical research into what the history and tradition of our country really is. And in that way, I think it allows judges and lawmakers to cherry pick history in order to find examples that meet their end goal. Now, it's worth going on a bit of a side for a moment and just reminding you that the originalist perspective is the opposite of the school of thought that says the Constitution is living, that those who drafted the Constitution and its amendments, they gave us guiding principles, and they wanted us to apply those guiding principles to modern day life, a life that they couldn't even imagine at the time that they wrote those words. That, in a lot of ways, is the opposite of what Justice Clarence Thomas and the other conservatives are saying, which is, no, the meaning of the Constitution is fixed. It is not a living Constitution. And this is a division that we see more than just in gun control. We see it in a lot of areas of the law, and obviously, it's a huge division in constitutional interpretation. So... Back to the case, when Thomas and his conservative colleagues made this decision in the Bruin case in 2022, the gun lobby really got what they wanted, which is tying lawmakers' hands and making it more difficult for gun control regulations to be upheld. Now, Thomas didn't give a ton of guidance to lower courts, and there's been a lot written about how lower courts really weren't sure exactly how to apply the standard. I think the key line from that Bruin case, that 2022 case, is the government must identify a well-established and representative historic analog, not a historical twin. Now, what is a representative historical analog? I mean, in some ways, I think your guess is as good as mine. What it means is we're looking at 1791 or 1868, and we're trying to figure out, is there a similar restriction on gun possession or gun ownership at the time? If there is some sort of not necessarily historical twin, but historical analog, then the drafters must have been okay with that restriction. And then the modern day analog is okay. So you're looking at what's happening today, what's being regulated, and you're trying to look back more than 100 years, centuries, and trying to figure out was something similar regulated at the time. And again, if not, then the idea is the regulation cannot stand under the Second Amendment. So this is a standard, as I said, that's proved, in my mind, fairly unworkable for lower courts. And it was truly just a matter of time until the Supreme Court had to review another case and clarify what the standard was. And that brings us to the case today, which is the Rahimi case. Now, Mr. Rahimi is kind of your definition of an unsympathetic party. He's somebody who likes to fire his gun and fire it a lot. He did so ultimately in violation of federal law. 
First, he assaulted his girlfriend, the mother of his child, and threatened to shoot her if she told anyone about it. That led to the restraining order against him, which he, according to the court record, proceeded to violate flagrantly and threatened to shoot another woman. He opened fire in public five times over two months. His claim wasn't so much that he didn't violate the federal law, it's that the federal law itself wasn't constitutional under that new Bruin test. And what's interesting about that case is initially, before the Bruin decision came down, the lower courts said, no, that federal law is constitutional. After the Bruin decision, the lower courts looked at the federal law that again says, if you're subject to a domestic violence restraining order, then you can't own a gun and said, you know what? I don't think that fits within our history and tradition standard. And so the lower court actually struck down the law under that Bruin standard. Now, if you're looking for a narrow historic analog from 1791 or 1868 for laws preventing those subject to domestic violence restraining orders from owning guns, I think it should be obvious to all of us, we're not going to find one. It wasn't until 1871 that any state punished husbands who beat their wives, and it took until 1920 for every state to criminalize, quote, wife beating. Women were, and I don't think this is news to most of us, not full people under the law. Now, given that wife beating was legal in 1791 and 1868, there's truly no chance of finding a historic analog here that would have prevented those who are engaged in domestic violence from owning guns. Now, this, in my view, is really a problem with the history and tradition standard. And this is where I think the majority of the court realized there's a problem with the history and tradition standard. And I think what the court is going to do here is say, It was understood in 1791 and 1868 that people who were violent and dangerous, and here we're talking about the context of domestic violence, that they could be prohibited from owning a gun. So I don't think the court is going to write an opinion that says, we're running away from the Bruin standard. It doesn't work at all. Instead, I think what we're going to see here is the court writing an opinion where they say we're clarifying the standard and that it's enough of a historic analog to say back in the late 1700s, in the mid 1800s, we understood that dangerous people could be restricted from gun ownership. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. So we're going to uphold that federal law. So yes, I told you that I think the court is kind of sauntering or sprinting away from its June 2022 decision, and I think it is, but I don't think it will explicitly say so. Now, I want to end by reminding people that something that Justice Sonia Sotomayor noted in 2014, she said, all too often, the only difference between a battered woman and a dead woman is the presence of a gun. That's why we have that federal law at all. That's why a lot of states have similar laws. I think luckily that's why a majority of the court seems to acknowledge that we need those laws and we'll find a way for those laws to be upheld under maybe a watered down version of the Bruin case. So I hope that helped you understand the big gun control case that the court just heard. As always, please rate, review and subscribe and have a great day.